times. And then he said, hey, Mike, let's show everybody what it looks like when two negotiators go up against each other. All right. <laughs> Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. What's up, Vision Pros, and welcome in to Vision Pros Live. I'm your host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I want to acknowledge real quick our sponsors, Epiphany and AbleHealth.us, as well as the opportunity to give back to the Water Project. There's people who have greater needs than you and I. If you're listening to this, we probably have a glass of water in our hand or right down the road from where we're at. It's easy to get to. There's other people who don't. Um, please consider giving back to that project or something similar. Um, I've got an interesting guest on today, Mike Inman. Inman. I'm going to find out exactly how to pronounce his last name. He is a professional negotiator, and I have learned that in a matter of the four minutes I've collaborated with him. Most of y'all know that my background in sales means that I also know a thing or two about negotiating. Um, I've read the book, uh, Never Split the Business, uh, Never Split the Difference with Chris Voss. Um, I have dissected that um, with a fine-tooth comb as well and have my good feelings and negative feelings as well about what was taught and what is consumed um, in that book. And you really can't um, learn enough about the art of negotiation because really it comes down to your ability to communicate with the world and your ability to have an influence for the things that you want to accomplish and do in your life, whether that's with your kids, with your family, for your business ventures, with the bank, uh, with your business partners, with your employees, et cetera, et cetera. So as a visionary, this is one of those arts that you want to keep learning time and time again. Um, I saw Mike come into that room with me for those four minutes and showcase a number of skill sets that I rarely see um, in, in leaders who think they know the art of negotiating. So with that said, Mike, uh, I look forward to hosting you on today's show. Welcome to Vision Pros, and we look forward hey. to the value we're going to extract from our conversation. Thank you for being here. Jackson, thanks for the great setup. I hope you didn't set the bar too high. Um, we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> we will. We will find out, right? I'd like to exceed um, expectations, but um, we're coming in with a high bar here. So let's find out. We are, definitely. So negotiationtraining.com and Tableforce. We got two different types of brand names, which is totally fine. Maybe it's a product, um, a market reality. Uh, it doesn't matter. Why did you start this? What got you into negotiating? Yeah, so, um, so I'm a lifelong negotiator from from a business perspective. Um, I spent three years in sales, and I found out that I was just average at that. Um, before I was in sales, I, I had a degree in engineering, and uh, I always liked data. And this little voice in my head said, um, you need to get some data. You need to understand why you're not a great salesperson. So I developed a survey. I passed it out to all of my, my peers, or I consider world-class sellers. We were selling into Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors, some fairly large, sophisticated purchasing organizations. And when the survey came back, I was really disappointed because there was only one common data point across all these world-class sellers. And the common data point was this. They had all been in purchasing roles before they went into sales roles. And that didn't make mm -hmm. sense to me. So I went to my boss and I said, um, hey, you know the survey? And he rolled his eyes. He said, oh, I've heard all about the survey. I said, well, do you know that everybody here has been in purchasing before they were in sales? And he said, duh, I could have told you that before the survey. And I said, no, not duh. I don't get it. Why is that important? And he said, Mike, it's because we understand the other side's sheet of paper. And I said, I have no idea what that means. Yeah, and he said, okay, ahead. I don't either. Let me, let me explain it to you. He said, we, we understand when we've worked with the end user community 
when we've uh, when we've uh, influenced the spec, when we uh, when we know the decision makers, when we have one of very few manufacturing plants in the world that can produce the parts to that level of quality or in a location. Basically, when when we have a strategic advantage, and on those deals we work to close them at high margin. And on the other side, we understand when we're the third or fourth or fifth bidder, or when we're, dare I say, a commodity. And on those deals, we, he said, Mike, what, what I've noticed is you come in early and you stay late, but you're not working really smart. Working hard, but not smart. I mean, I had my fax machine programmed to dial my beeper when a quote came in so I could hurry up and quote it. He said, Mike, you, you got to figure this out. And I said, yeah, it, it would be powerful, though, when I probably had the order. I could prioritize those conversations, make make that a big part of my day. And it would also be powerful to know when I didn't have the order. So I could I could lose fast. So I said, how do I know? And he said, well, you're a smart guy. Eight or 10 years in sales, you'll probably figure it out. <laughs> or I know a hiring manager over at General Motors, they're hiring buyers right now. If you'd like, I could uh, put your resume in front of them. And I said, well, if I was a buyer, how long would it take me to figure out? And he said, ah, pff, a year or two tops, you definitely figure it out. And that little voice in my head said, that sounds efficient. Eight or 10 years in sales, maybe figured out. One or two years in purchasing, definitely figured out. Would you please make the phone call for me? So, so here's the vice president of sales, takes his young protege, and he gets me a job at General Motors purchasing. And that's when my mm -hmm. complete my career changed. Um, so what I learned as a purchaser, after yeah. I understood the sales sheet of paper was this. My, my first job at General Motors, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I would work with the end user community, build out the spec package, send it out to all of our suppliers. And then I played Mahjong in solitaire, just killing time in the day. Mm. Quotes would start to come in, start to stack up on my desk. I'm playing Mahjong in solitaire. Due date would hit, playing Mahjong in solitaire. Then I'd get a phone call from a supplier and the phone call would go like this. They'd say uh, in a high stressed voice, hey, Mike, we, um, we submitted our bid a few days ago and we were wondering, how do we look? Without even looking at their bid, I'd say, are you kidding me? You're way too high. Click back to Mahjong Salter. The next day, I'd get a phone call from that same supplier. They'd say, hey, Mike, we um we checked with finance and you're right. We sharpened our pencil. We can give you an 8% discount. How does an 8% discount sound? Without even looking, I would say 8%. You got to be double digits if you're serious or you're going to lose this order. Or I would call a meeting with supplier I had no intention of doing business with. And I would take, take, take. Somebody that was weak and desperate, I would abuse that relationship. I would take everything from them. Then I'd call a meeting with supplier I really wanted to do business with. And I would say, uh, I've met with your competition and I've got all this stuff from them. I I'd cover the name because that would be unethical. If you can't beat this, you're going to lose this deal. And I was really good at it. Mm -hmm. Jackson, I was, I was getting rewards for that type of behavior. Here's the problem. That type of negotiating is not sustainable. Right. I mean, we, we drove hundreds, if not thousands of suppliers out of business with those type of negotiation tactics. And the little voice in my head one day said, you're better than that. You, you just mm -hmm. can't be abusive. You, that's not in you. So I started to study negotiations and I read books on negotiating, took classes like the one I now teach. And from that point forward, my career went from a, a buyer to a manager to a director in the GM system moved over to um, America West, which is now American Airlines through acquisition, had all the indirect um, procurement responsibilities, had $800 million to spend there, moved to a company called um, IAC Interactive Corp. And IAC is a holding company that owned Match.com and 
uh, let's see, Expedia, Ticketmaster, Home Shopping Network. My job of head of procurement there was to get all the companies to negotiate together internally. So then we could then go negotiate with our suppliers with one voice. And my last gig before joining Table Force was um, with a company called MGM Resorts International. So 50,000 hotel rooms uh, on the strip and globally. And I had all the indirect spend there. So I've, I've used negotiations throughout my career, sales side, purchasing side. And, um, and I believe if you negotiate properly, you can actually have better relationships. You can get to that mythical win-win if you put the effort in, if you have a process, if you try, if you raise the bar on yourself, you can actually have a better deal and better relationships with your suppliers. Because here's what I figured out in, in procurement. If you beat them up, if they don't go out of business, but you need that that phone call answered after hours or you need that email response on the weekend, sellers do not prioritize you. Mm -hmm. Buyers of the world need to understand that the sellers have to have their wins. And you can actually do that in a kind, professional way. You don't have to just beat them up. And if you do that, both sides get happy with each other. I, I've got a ton of ex-suppliers that I'm Facebook friends with. Now that's not real friendship. Don't, don't hear something I'm not saying, but it is building a, a relationship that's lasting. And that only came because of the way we negotiate. So that's, sorry, that's a long way. Yeah. I, I get off on these tangents. Sometimes no, it's I, I good. get excited. It, it, you, ended uh, the, you ended the book super well. Those who, right. those who hear the wisdom and what you just shared um, and, and went through in the course will, um, will benefit tremendously. Um, from, I can teach from you how to beat somebody up in about an hour. <laughs> the problem sure. is the other side figures it out and, and they're, they may yeah. have to do the deal. They may decide to do the deal because it's yep. better than nothing. But so it's let's not look at this. Deal. So today is a good experience. <laughs> I had a good experience that goes along with exactly what you're saying. Um, and in this case, um, it was that entrepreneur that I don't want to say they lost their opportunity to be on the show because this is one. We're not the Joe Rogan show. Um, and we don't have a million people listening in. Okay. Um, one day. But there was a, there was a lesson that that required that me to say, you know what, this may not be the best opportunity for you. That hurts, you know, as a perfect to get, to get denied by a, by a podcast, whether it's small or big, you know, if it's small, you're going to feel bad about it because it's like, wow, who are you to deny me? If it's big, it's embarrassing. You know, like I didn't make it onto that show. Well, here's what happened. The entity I was talking to, um, I was asking them about one of their web pages after having a fairly awkward first pre-show discussion. Um, and when we were talking about their website, they had some critical flaws in the wording of their website. And the person said, oh yeah, like that, that designer did an awful job. Um, you know, we fired them, you know, it was, it was all their fault. Um, right. So here I am as a seasoned entrepreneur knowing, man, anytime we point our finger that hard at somebody, there's three pointing back at us, right? And so I'm like, oh man, how do I address this? This is such a negative vibe. And they went a step further because I said, uh, well, how much how much did you pay them to work in your web design? And and they said, um, oh, I didn't pay them on the front end. Are you are you crazy? Um, you know, I've learned I've learned the lessons. I've learned how to run my business. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, like they didn't even pay the person. Uh, exactly. Under the thumb. Um, exactly, Mike. Um, you know, and what happened is I got myself in a situation where I realized there's no way I want to have a relationship, a working relationship with somebody who treats people like this. Um, you know, that's what that was revealed in the process. And so there was this 
hostility and toxicity that existed where I knew there's no way I wanted a relationship of negotiation with this person. So let's go there. How do you yeah. define negotiations? Um, because I think you have a unique take on it, whereas most people think it's this hostile back and forth of, Mike, let me twist your arm and you twist my arm and let's see who wins. But yeah. what does negotiation mean to you? So, so it's in its simplest form, it's just two or more parties trying to reach agreement. Um, and, and if we do this properly, I should want you to be happy with the deal. I've heard a lot of people define win-win as both sides equally don't like the deal or, or both sides kind of don't like it. And I'm like, fine. Um, but, but I want to see both sides actually excited about the deal. Um, so so for, for example, when people negotiate with either table force, when companies negotiate with us, or when people find out that I'm a professional negotiator, I, I know I'm making assumptions here, and, and that's not a bad thing. There's that old saying about don't make assumptions. It makes an AWS out of you and me. But but I think mm -hmm. we should make assumptions. We should test those. So so the assumption I generally make is when someone negotiates, um, starts negotiating with us, they, there's a little reluctance. They're like, oh, my gosh, they're professional negotiators, and they're going to take advantage of me. They're going to screw me over. And all, and all this junk in their head gets in the way. So I'll start a negotiation off saying, hey, listen, here's here's the deal. I want you to imagine that in five years, we're up for renewal and we are so happy with each other that Table Force is funding a, uh, a get together down at the Fountain Blue in Miami. We're paying for you, the supplier, to come join us. Okay, so with that, that end game in mind, how do we build in a contract that, that aligns us so that we're happy with you in five years and you're happy with us in five years? Yeah. So begin with the end in mind. Love it. And Love now it. we got to talk about your wants and needs and my wants and needs. And how do we align that? One thing that you said that, that I teach, that's not a negotiation lesson. It's a life lesson. And I learned this from our founder, Bill Garcia, who's, who's not only a master negotiator, but master in life. Bad news early is good news. Absolutely. Too many deals happen and then both sides are unhappy with it or find out later that this sucks and we shouldn't be together. If you can find out early in the, in the process that a deal won't make sense, then you can go away and say, Hey, listen, this isn't going to, doesn't make sense for us. We're not in alignment. Um, I love you as a person, as a business just doesn't make sense. So if something changes on your sheet of paper, if a new variable comes in, if you find another supplier and they don't work out for you, we'd love to be there to pick up the pieces, but this just doesn't make sense right now and have that conversation really early on. I think people can be happy with each other um, instead of just trying to beat each other up and run each other down and, and then it not working out in the end. That's just a waste of everyone's time. Right. I agree with that. So hostage negotiation is what most people think of, but your term of negotiation is what I define as healthy dialogue. Healthy yeah. dialogue consists of two people coming to bat, um, ready to give their best. Um, you know, yeah. and that's usually what ultimately results in the win-win opportunities. Um, so how do you go about what, well, let's look at this from another perspective real quick. I should, I should go back to my, I'm just, I love going off the hook with this, but let's go right here. Mike, who, who should be listening to this podcast right now? Why should they listen to you and what are they going to get out of the rest of today's show? Sure. So, um, we, we primarily teach salespeople, 80% of our audience ends up being sales or project management customer facing roles. And the other 20% is on the procurement side. Um, so, so people that are in buying and selling roles are going to get the most benefit 
out of this. Uh, the lessons we teach are applicable to other things like salary negotiations. They're applicable to things like going to Home Depot and getting a better lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're applicable to things like, um, so when I go out to dinner with my wife and, and she does not like negotiating at all, she's one of those people that cringes and like the blood drains out of her face and she walks away. Uh-huh. Um, here, here's what I know. When I go to a, uh, new restaurant and I check in at the host stand, um, they'll say, do you want inside or outside? You want the bar or the, or the restaurant? Do you want the high top or the booth? They'll give you a binary choice. And I always say the same thing. I want to sit with your best server. And they go, huh? And I go, yeah, yeah. You know, the server, the server that trains all the other servers. I no disrespect. Everyone's got to start somewhere, but if I'm going to pay full price and my wife has made it very clear, I'm going to pay full price. (laughs) I want the best experience possible. Now that's an opportunity to negotiate. Most the studies show that most people miss there's five to seven opportunities to negotiate every day, but because it's not buying a house, buying a car, sourcing business, winning business, people don't think of it as a negotiation to the finances. Right. Right. So I, I like to expand the definition of negotiating to all these other things. Now, most hosts or hostesses miss an opportunity. If I'm coaching them, I say, now, when somebody says, I want to sit with your best server, you need to say, Hey, listen, can you wait five minutes? I just sat them. I don't want to slam them. And by the way, if you have a good experience, will you leave us a Yelp review? right? Mm. They're going to get some value back. They're going to give me what I want and need, the best service. And if they deliver on that, I I should then be willing to give them what they want and need, which is the opportunity to get more business. Yep. And this is about exchanging value between two sides. I'm not trying to trick them into giving me the better table. Right. I'm trying to say, I, I want that. That's high value to me. So if you can give it, if it's low value to you, that's a good thing. Now, what could be low value to me, high value to you? like a review. Now, here's what most people don't know. So mm. I've, I've, uh, I've trained people on six continents. I've been in more than 30 countries doing negotiation training for the last 10 years. When I travel, I leave a review for restaurants that I eat at anyway, for me, because if it's a really good one and I go back to that city, I want to know that that was a good restaurant. And I'll even use the server's name. I'll say, Sarah gave me great service. So when I show up at the lion's head pub, I can say, is Sarah here? Right. So it's my own reminder, but it's low value. It has some value to me, but it has more value to them. But that should be in the deal to look out for each other. It's funny that you should mention the Lion's Head Pub. That is uh, one of my former clients. In Milwaukee? uh, North of Milwaukee? Uh, I, no I believe so um, with restaurant software. Um, so it's fine. Oh, <laughs> of all brands that you would mention. Um, okay. Let's move in real quick, Mike. So. Yeah. 15 seconds version. What's your vision? My vision, I want to help people understand negotiations is not about a crisis or or a negative process. We should have fun negotiating. Hmm. I mean, I most people have to go to work. I get to go to work. I, uh, negotiations are all I do. So so that's my my quick highline there. Let's have let's have fun negotiating. For, so what's your vision for the clients you work with? Yeah, so so the word uh, Negotiate comes from the Latin term. It's um, I'm going to I'm not a Latin speaker. It's a uh, negare optimum, which means to deny leisure. So the whole yeah. word, and in fact, in in French and Spanish, it it means business. So there's all these negative things that get associated with it, and I just want to change that so that people get to negotiate. In fact, when I negotiate with somebody, 
especially if I'm on Zoom or in person, I put a smile on my face. They'll say, hey, listen, I hate to bring this up, but, and I'll go, oh, are we negotiating now? Like, <laughs> like I want to bring that positive energy. Tell me what you need. Please be honest with me. And by the way, there are some cultures in this world that have a hard time being honest yeah. and they hold back because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings. I love negotiating with people like from the Netherlands or from Germany because they will just like tell you. <laughs> so I call them direct. In fact, I was doing a class and I said, I love negotiating with people from the Netherlands and somebody from the Netherlands, because I said, because they're direct and somebody from the Netherlands raised their hand. And they said, thank you. Most people think we're mean. And I'm like, no, no, you're just direct. And, and that is efficient. So we should also, mm -hmm. that in. how do we, how do we get yes or no faster? Sorry, that's a little over 30 seconds. Again, my passion, no, no, no. passion doesn't that's come good. across, shame on me. No, that's awesome. All right. So um, with that said, what are what are some of the um, powerful lessons that visionaries can learn? Uh, so we're not necessarily talking about the person who's the sales rep they want to hire, but when they're in the process of running their own sales or building their own influence, what can they learn from your experience about negotiating that can help them succeed in the here and now? So the, the first thing we tell people, it's one of our three foundational principles, is to try. Now, yeah. that sounds very trite. Like, wait, wait this guy's going to tell me to try? Visionary is going to tell me to try? Yeah, I'm telling you to try. Because here's, here's what happens a lot. Sales leader will say to the sales team, hey, go out and get an 11% price increase. We're going for 11% this year. Go get 11%. Salesperson, their knees under the table are shaking because they don't want to call the customer and say, hey, I got, a, I got bad news. 11% is coming. They'll send an email or a text or a phone call and they'll say, Hey, I got really bad news. My boss said we're supposed to get try to get 11.5%. What do you think about that? And the buyer will say, Because buyers are trained to do this, get out of here. You're out of your mind. No. Self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Now the salesperson will go back to their boss and they'll say, I tried. No, no, you didn't try. No. We, we have a saying, I'll never take a no from someone not empowered to say yes. So when you say, hey, I needed an 11.5% price increase. I did my best internally. I've already negotiated 11.5% is your number. And the buyer says, no, get out of here. You're out of your mind. A salesperson should say, well, it sounds like we've reached your level, level of authority. Who could say yes? Can I talk to your boss? Can I talk to your boss's boss? Can I talk to the end user community? Can I talk to finance? Salespeople are generally taught, taught to hear no three times in most of their, their techniques. In negotiations, they don't do that. They hear no one time and they go away afraid. Mm -hmm. Try, keep trying, try with somebody else. Who can say yes? Who can negotiate with me? Keep trying. So that, that's number one. Second thing is to have a plan. Um, you know, most people think that negotiations, you got to be flexible and entrepreneurial. And you do. But that's the 20% of the Pareto. You got 80% you should have a plan for. Um a, a famous negotiator said they busted a myth that you should have a negotiation plan, that you should play detective before you go negotiate. And their, their reasoning, and I don't, I, intellectually, I understand what they're trying to say. They said, um, it's because most people lie on social media. So if you looked up someone, they would probably have a couple of lies on their LinkedIn profile. And that you can get more in 20 minutes with them than you can by reading their bio. To which I say, but what about the stuff that's correct? What about reading between the lines? You know, most people don't have the benefit of going to training to understand how to psychologically profile someone in 20 minutes. And by the way, 
if you have an hour set aside and you're spending 20 minutes profiling the other side, you haven't really used your negotiation time efficiently. Mm-hmm. So, so part of the plan is, um, and I tell people don't stalk anyone like that's rude and inappropriate and, and maybe illegal, but LinkedIn is a billboard that people freely choose to put out there about themselves. So if somebody doesn't look me up, I almost think, wow, that's disrespectful. I looked you up, right? We're going to have a meeting. I want to know things like, were you in the military or not? And, and my assumption is people from the military are a little more formal in their processes. So my language will shift a little more. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Until proven otherwise. Um, it depends on what university they went to, what country they're from. Again, I mentioned some countries are very rigid and strict and hierarchical. Mm-hmm. And other countries are really more collective, socialistic. So, so I want to just build out a little mini profile before I start talking to that person to see if we can build a bridge. I'm not using that information. Let me back up. People have said, well, that could be manipulative. If you are using sure. information to hurt the other side, to put them at a disadvantage, that's manipulation and that's wrong. I'm against that. If you are using the information you find to build a bridge, then that's it's manipulation, but it's used in the context of. Yeah, I guess they're, they're but, both but strictly on, in though, the that's, definition. That's yeah. when you're looking at the semantics game. Right. So if I were coming back at you and saying, hey, that's negative to do. And that's one thing. But the word manipulate means to mold. Um, And so we put negative connotations on things as Americans or as speakers of English brought up from our own homes where we learn to uh, fight or we learn to harmonize. Um, Right. So it just depends on how we're utilizing the term. But I, I think it's a beautiful way of showcasing how much value we put in the other entity, the way that you're Jackson, you, you said it. So the English language. So I read this study. Now, this is about 10 years old. It said the number one failure rate for U.S. expats, person, a U.S. business person transferring overseas is in the U.K. And what they found was when somebody from the U.S. goes to Spain, little voice in their head says, OK, you're in Spain. It's a different language. It's a different culture. You might need to take a siesta. You need to adapt to them. And they have a, they have a decent degree of success because they're saying to themselves, I need to adapt. When people from the U.S. go to the U.K., they go, oh, we speak the same language. We fight wars together. We're the same. And they find out Mm -hmm. in the U.K., we are not the same. To your point, the word scheme. You know, in the U.S., it's a very, oh, there's a scheme. That's like illegal, legal scheme. In the U.K., it's just a plan. You know, everyone has a scheme. (laughs) But but, but the word has different connotations, even though the definition is about the same. Yes, I love that. And I'm, I'm not a fan of the semantics games at the same time I play them constantly. Um, and what I do, but it's about, you know, can you as a leader uh, create space for that person? So another little thing that came up, um, and I'm glad you utilize it as an opportunity. I know, I know this wasn't personal, Mike, um, but I know how it matters for the context of what we're talking about. Um, you've talked about utilizing that 20 minutes of the time that you have to pre-frame a call right, to be prepared for that call. There's far too many people out there who don't, who go into situations where they could have found out more about the situation and didn't. On the flip side, there's the potential of being pretentious and thinking somebody should have done more research than they actually did, Um, right? For instance, if I'm going to meet with Mark Zuckerberg and he doesn't know who I am, so freaking what? Um, It's Mark Zuckerberg. Um, You know, if I'm going to meet with Elon Musk, so what? We have to be careful as people not to box ourselves in on either side. 
right? Where we put ourselves into a, into a limiting belief where we're like, oh man, this person didn't research me because of X, Y, or Z. So coming in with an open mind, knowing you did your yeah. best to do your research and that you at least tried. I also, real quick on your other thought, when you talked about trying, you talked about the salesman who called and failed in their try process because they, they kind of preemptively told the person how they should feel about the 11% price increase, right? Saying, oh man, I bet you're not going to like this. Be prepared not to like this. Like they kind of unsold themselves. Yep. What about the person who didn't make the call to begin with? They just quit, right? You're certainly going to have those two who quit. So, and they told yeah. their boss they tried. Oh, the boss, I called it. They wouldn't call me back. They ghosted me. Sorry. That's, no, right. that's not trying. Yeah. No, it's not. Um, trying with the intent to win. Um, right. I love that. You guys have that as a principle. So you mentioned that you mentioned having the plan. What's the third point? So, so we like to call it raise the bar. Um, okay. and, and it's about having high expectations for yourself. If, if you're a salesperson, you're closing deals at 18% margin. Um, and you know, with a 90% confidence that 18% is a good number, and you're probably going to close that deal. Why aren't you trying for 22? I'm not asking anybody to go from 18 to 36 overnight, but if we can make, if we can be a better me tomorrow than I am today, make incremental improvements, 1% a day. And when you're closing deals at 22% interest, you get a little more confidence. And, and now maybe we go for 24, 26%, but to raise the bar on ourselves, mm -hmm. I think is a, a good, healthy practice that we should all get into, regardless if you're negotiating or your accounts payable and you're, you're processing 120 purchase order of uh, invoices a day. Why can't you get to 130? You know, I, I see all these people online and not that I want to make this about salary negotiations, but if I just had salary transparency, I could get a raise. No, you couldn't. Salary transparency does nothing for you. Hmm. Being valuable to your boss, to your company, that does value. To go in and say, hey, I'm 10% better than everybody else in my peer group at whatever your job is whatever your KPIs are. How can I get on the path to get a raise? How can I get on the path to get a promotion? How boss can I make your life better? And when I make your life better, I expect you're going to make my life better. That's true negotiating yes. and, and part of a plan and to raise the bar on yourself. Why can't you get a little more out of it? That's being valuable, knowing your value and expressing your value. Right. All, I all like the way you frame that up. Just, yeah. You've just done all three of those things. Um, and it's a big difference between somebody who who uh, wins and somebody who doesn't. Um, right. Is knowing to take those steps. Um, yeah. And then there's actually a saying, it, so. you know, you don't get what you negotiate. You don't get what you deserve. You don't get to what's fair. You get what you negotiate. Hmm. You know, I, I spent a lot of years in charge of teams and finance gives you a budget. And they say, here you go, split this up how you want. And you want to give your A's a little more. But then HR will say, hey, how come Sally is getting 4.8 and Jimmy's only getting 1.2? That's not fair. And I'll say, well, here's why. Because Sally produces more results than Jimmy. And, and I'll have to fight internally, negotiate internally. But, you know, yeah. whether it's 4.8 or 1.2, you know, that's not going to really change anybody's life. You know, yeah. getting a 20% raise you know, you got to go to your boss and say, how do I get that extra 20%? Ooh, okay. Now it's not in the 3% yearly budget. Now I got to go to finance and get an exception. Now I got to go to HR and talk about why the job description and how you perform that you're an outlier in a good way. 
the 20s and 30 percenters. I don't want to lose you because it's going to pick, cost me 30 percent more to go get somebody on the street new. I'd rather give an existing employee 20, 25 percent than go pay 30 percent more for a newbie. Yep. Use the word that I wish um, more entrepreneurs would would seek out um, or would be less scared of. You said fight. You, uh, you almost corrected yourself, but I'm glad you said the word yeah. fight. Um, I had a therapist uh, that his one of his big claims was fighting in relationships is the fertilizer um, of a relationship, okay. um, you know, which is what? It's the manure. Um, you know, it's, it's the nasty stuff, but it's the reason it's so necessary to help relationships move forward um, that, that are, that are built on substance, um, and they're not just surviving. So, um, hey, Jax, we, can I back uh, that up? Go ahead. Yeah, okay. absolutely. It's, it's, um, if you, if you won't fight with somebody and I'm not saying we should all fight all the time no, right. or make up things to fight about. I know there are people who make up drama, um, right? That's a different story. <laughs> but, but if you won't put the effort in to say, I disagree with you, if you just go, ah, whatever, that's not a real good relationship. If you don't even care enough about the person to say, I think you're wrong, then you don't have a, a solid ground. Uh, Bill, my boss and I, I call my boss, he's our majority owner, our founder. We fight regularly. And, and you're managing we're partner, passionate. correct? You're managing yeah, partner. Here, yeah, we split that role and, that, and that's just for signing contracts and deals and stuff like that. But, but he's founded our company. He taught me to negotiate. He was one of those trainers who taught young Mike, young buyer Mike, how to be a better negotiator. I respect mm -hmm. him immensely. But, but he, Bill approaches things from a sales perspective with a sales mind. Bill's got an MBA from Thunderbird. Um, I don't have an MBA. So, and Bill, by the way, grew up in Latin America, speaks uh, Spanish, Portuguese, uh, English. Cool. Been to 40 countries, not 30. So, so Bill's approach to things is often different than my procurement guy approach. So yeah. we will disagree vehemently, passionately. At the end of the day, the best idea wins if we can convince the other side that maybe it's a little better or maybe to try. Let's see. Let's get some data. You would think one thing. I think another thing. Let's see what the market thinks because ultimately the market is the one that's going to tell you if you're right or wrong. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, and we raise our voices to each other. Sometimes we hang up the phone. Like, you know, used to hang up the phone. Now we, you know, hang up the phone or delete the email, you know, and you get that dopamine fix, but it's all through love and passion. At least it should be. When you fight, it should be about, I care enough to put some passion into this relationship. Yeah. I love that. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, yeah, Bill Garcia sounds like an interesting, um, interesting man to learn from. What parts of uh, Central South America did he live? Do you know? Yeah, his father was an executive with um, General Motors, and he grew up in Sao Paulo, Buenos Aires, and uh, nice. see somewhere else in Colombia. And yeah, he spent a lot of. He grew wow. up there. He speaks. In fact, I um, I got to travel to Cuba with him, and he speaks fluent Spanish. And um, I spent 20 minutes in a cab, um, listening to him and a Cuban cab driver just go off, and that built the relationship because we weren't some gringos going down to Havana. Yeah, he built that relationship through because Latin cultures. Again, very different. I don't like to stereotype, but they are different. Oh, every culture and it's is about different. a relationship. Yeah. yeah. Different zip codes have different cultures. Absolutely. There you go. So we have to respect that and embrace that. So he spent the first 20 minutes with me in the cab just looking out the window while he's building a relationship with the cab driver. Because in Cuba, you have a if you have a tour guide, if you have a cab driver, you get to see the inside stuff, the good stuff. You you get right. picked up first. Doesn't matter what you pay. 20 bucks will keep those cab drivers happy for the day. That's, I mean, it's a poor country. 
But boy, if you're the first person to be picked up, if your cab driver will wait for you, ooh, that's high value because now we're making use of our vacation time. Absolutely. And knowing how to honor people, um, you know, based on on their etiquette, based on their circumstances, yeah. um, it, it definitely matters. So well said. Um, in regards to programs uh, that you offer opportunities, um, I know you help, you know, I know you help sales people um, move forward their negotiations. What does that look like? Uh, what, what if an entrepreneur is listening to this and they're considering working with Table Force or negotiation training.com? What, yeah, we, what should um, they anticipate as the next step? So pre-COVID, all we did was in-person workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, 80-20 rule, 80% of those were two-day workshops where they pull their people out of the field, um, whether it's a sales kickoff or a purchasing, um, you know, we're all going to get together and talk about our yearly goals or we're behind on our goals and we got to catch up, whatever the, the situation was. And for two days, we would talk about negotiating in the context of that customer. So we got a couple of differentiators. And one of them is we try to make every class relevant to the people in the class. Mm-hmm. Um, I've taken open classes. I've taken the Harvard class, MIT class, taken the Keras class. They're great classes, great content. But in the class, I have to connect the dots back to my negotiations. Right. What we try to do is connect the dots for them. So when I'm with a sales technology mm-hmm. company, I'll pull role plays that are about sales technology. We have, a, we have a library about 100 role plays, all different types of, of buy-sell situations, small, large, you know, $20,000, $1.2 million. And we'll give them these role plays that um, help them take the material they just learned and apply it in a negotiation. Um, sometimes role, people get like bunched up when they hear about role plays. So this is what I tell people. It's a safe learning environment. So they've learned about some negotiating techniques learn about a negotiating process, then they get to use it. And our, our safe learning environment is this. When you're done with the negotiations and we write up all the deals on the board so you can kind of see how you did. Because you know, in the real world, you never get to see how you did relative to other people. Mm. And you never get to see how you did relative to the other side of your negotiation. So we'll, we'll write up some data. And, the, and then if you did something well, you're allowed to take credit for it. If the other side did something well, you're allowed to give credit for it. If you failed at something and have the confidence level that you could admit that you failed, and I love people who can say, hey, listen, I failed at something, you're allowed to talk about your failure. And if the other side did something that they could improve upon, you know, there's some people who talk too fast when they're under stress or they talk too high. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got to tell. Don't talk about that in public. I want to protect egos. But on a break, at lunch, at dinner, tell the person, hey, by the way, I noticed when we were negotiating, and then whatever the constructive feedback is, to be that one-to-one coach, but to do that outside of the public area so that people can feel safe to try things, and dare I say fail at things, in this role play process. So we do that for two days. We wrap a bow on it. Um, the expectation is the feed the 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 impact is immediate. In fact, I had one uh, COO in the UK for a tech company. We gave him homework at the end of day one. And we said, go negotiate something. Could be personal, could be over a bottle of wine, could be a deal. COO comes back the next morning and says, I just saved 60,000 pounds negotiating because of what I learned on day one. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, goody, because day two is even, even more powerful stuff. Could have saved even more. But but that's the type of impact that, that we have. Generally speaking, 
Um, people pay for themselves the two days that they're there and the class in the first negotiation they do post-class. Good. Okay. COVID so hit. Go, go ahead. Well, we went to we went to zero overnight. In March of, of 2020, we were 80% booked for the year. COVID hit. And by April, everyone had canceled. We are, our quality standards are very high. Um, we like to think it's the highest, but but we don't know everybody. And uh, and we thought video training wasn't as good. Uh, there's there's no way it can be as good as the in-person product. So we built out a Zoom session. Now, here's where our, we failed at first. We took two days in person and we put it into two eight-hour days back-to-back in Zoom. Whew. And we learned about Zoom fatigue and about people tuning out. So now we have our Zoom product is three three-hour days with a little break. So you're, you're not in class for more than an hour and a half. And, um, and it's all the same content. The role plays are structured as activities instead of actual formal role plays. But they get all the same content. They get all the same stories. They just get them in a little different format. Um, Absolutely. So we, uh, those are the two primary ways that people can um, experience our negotiation training. Well, you learn, you learn one of your own lessons there, too. Uh, and that was like the 11% increase. Um, you know, the thought process that video couldn't be as good held you back initially. It, absolutely. Like tried, the junk in our head. Right again. Um, one right, thing I do tell people, yeah. to start the class, turn off that voice in your head. You know, Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You're right. And, and when I say right. A, B, C, your voice is already a D. Yep. And when I say one, two, three, your voice is already at four. Yep. There's times in class that I want to shift the paradigm and I want to go A, B, one, two. And you'll miss it if you listen to your voice instead of mine. So we got to get out of our own way on a lot of Smart. things in life. That's a life lesson, not just a negotiation lesson. It's a lot of fun too, uh, to challenge your brain like that and to make sure that you are shifting the way that you think. Um, so real quick, I want to circle back to your vision a little bit. We have a little bit of extra time. Um, and so your vision of helping others with their negotiation process and ultimately um, look for ways to become 1% better each day. Um, why is that important to you, Mike? I'm kind of blessed in life. I've had a lot of great mentors. I'll say sought out and found a lot of great opportunities for myself. And, um, and my life is fantastic. And I see a lot of people struggling and that hurts my heart. I, I genuinely want to see people doing better. You know what, what I see a lot of is, um, it's unfair. So-and-so makes more than me. And I go, Hey, when I found out that people made more than me and, and many people did, many people do the voice in my head says, Hey, good for you. That's awesome. And now I have a data point that says, how do, how do I get to that level? If that's what I want, you know, a lot of people focus on salary compensation is so much more than just salary. But, you know, whether it's getting the corner office, whether it's getting the bigger accounts, whether it's getting a different title, whether it's getting more vacation time, whatever it is that, that you want to improve upon, I want to help people get there through some simple practical tools that actually help their relationships as well. I love it. Well, so I'm getting so something out of it. It's dopamine. I, I, I like helping people. I like when I click the like button. I like when I comment on people on their posts. Um, I, I enjoy that. I, I get something out of it. So in negotiations, there's a rule uh, that don't ever give anything without getting something in return. I'm getting something in return. When I help people, I feel good. And there's value Absolutely. there. 
It's huge value there. Mike, it's been a pleasure. Vision pros, those of you listening in, uh, you know, if you know somebody who can improve their negotiation skills, um, who understands the value of healthy dialogue, um, who wants to be able to pull from these points of try, plan, and raising the bar. Um, you know, if you have somebody in sales who's working with you that could use some help and guidance, then definitely reference them back to this uh, this opportunity to listen into what Mike's up to. You can go to negotiationtraining.com and see some of the videos they have on there and the materials that they have on there. I'm constantly looking for new friends that know how to uh, improve my own communications and how I can help the market. So if you need help, reach out to Mike Inman on linkedin.com. Uh, reach out to him on the website, anywhere else that you can. And, and if you have any questions for us, don't hesitate to hit us up in the comments as well. Um, you know, I'm sure Mike would be happy to, happy to jump in to uh, address those. And we'll also alert him to let you know that you have follow-up questions. So everybody have a fantastic week. Mike, thank you so much for being here. And Vision hey, Pros, Jackson, always a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving